So last week we, uh, we talked about winning. Actually, I'm really curious. You know, we did a little giveaway. How did anybody do? Donna? I made a bunch of money. <laughs> Donna made $50. Oh, yes. Nice job. That was great. And thank you. I was going to say, I, I handed it to you. So, yeah. Yes, thank you very much. I, I, <laughs> anybody else? Terry got a ticket? Four. $4? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the people, I turned off the recording before we did it, but when we were doing this lottery analogy, I thought, what would it be fun to do scratchers? And no, I didn't turn in a receipt because I thought that would be really weird and maybe even tacky. <laughs> but it was fun, wasn't it? It was fun to do that. And, and, and we talked about winning and winning big. And I posed the question, what would you do if you won big? In fact, you know, just before that, we had a winner of the Mega Millions, not we, but the world, $1 billion. It was hard to even fathom that. And I posed the question, what would you do if you won big? And as we looked at scripture and reflected on our own lives, we recognized that we have, in fact, already won the most valuable prize, and that's God's love. God's love, which is limitless, unconditional, permanent, protecting, fear-eliminating, and a love that is specifically for you. Of the people we looked at, you know, a lot of them had won and spent all this money and blew it all, and they found themselves back to where they started. We've got a prize that never stops being redeemed, a prize that you are to relish for yourself and, and to share with others. Donna? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could bring some more back. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's left. But this prize includes some promises with it, right? The fine print, but this is good fine print. It's like, God will be with you. That's a promise. God will protect you. That's a promise. He will be your strength if you rely on him. He will answer you when you talk to him. He'll provide for you, right? And we get so hung up on the grand things we want, but you know, just having the basic provisions in life is a blessing. The fact that you're here, that you have air in your lungs and, and warmth in your body and clothes on, that is, that is a provision. That's an answered prayer. God has promised for you. God will give you peace if you let him. And God will always love you, and that is period, right? And we realize that that stuff is what winning looks like. And I pray that you felt like a winner this past week. I hope that you experience and recognize God's love and blessing in your life. And, and it is my prayer that it continues for you. And during last week's message, I kept using the analogy of the lottery several times. And we all know to win that jackpot, you have to match all those numbers exactly. And, and to that point, I reminded you that God's love for you, his intended plans and blessing for your life, they're divinely created for you personally. You, as his child, have the exact match for that prize. And that makes you special and it makes you valuable, but not necessarily unique. What makes you unique, right? Your DNA, your fingerprints, like the screen I have up here, your life story, yes, that, what differentiates you? All those things make you unique. But just like the image of the fingerprints on the screen, I wanna assure you that, that you are unique and there's only one you and you are special. But there are many more things that make you just like everyone else. And none of these things take away from just how special you are. And I want you to take heart. This is gonna be an encouraging message, okay? The seemingly ironic thing about the exclusiveness of Christianity is its inclusiveness. And that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. I'll say that again. 
The exclusiveness about Christianity is its inclusiveness. Many religions teach that those who don't believe what they believe are the enemy, someone to loathe, someone to despise, someone to pity, maybe even someone to kill. We know that we are called to love everyone, including our enemies, and certainly anyone who does not yet know the love of God or the gift of salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are not called to hate others. We are called to love them. We are not called to avoid non-believers, but to share the good news with them. We are not called to reject others, but to invite them in. And you're going to hear one word repeated many times for the remainder of this message, and the word is everyone. God loves everyone. Consider one of the most familiar verses, John 3.16, or John 3.16 and 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son, that whoever, that's a term of inclusiveness, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then it goes on in 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Or consider 1 John 2, 2, that defines Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And the apostle Paul affirmed the faith of the early church in Rome with these words. He says, but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, God died for us. Now, what's interesting, if you guys know sign language more than what you use in road rage, um, Nothing? Thank you. I know, I know you guys. Um, but the sign language for we is like this, and us is like this, right? It's us. It's everybody. Do you see that motion? Are you getting the idea that God loves everyone? And as Matthew 5.45 assures us, it isn't just those of us who believe or understand. Scripture says it's the evil and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous. We, us, everyone. God loves everyone. That is a fact and a scriptural promise, but he wants something too. Here's the next thing. God wants a relationship with everyone. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some would understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, this is the only way that a holy God can have a relationship with you. The first step was sending his son as the perfect sacrifice that made atonement even possible. And the second is by fulfilling your part of the new covenant by repenting and accepting the gift of grace. And like a good friend, he will encourage and support you when you ask him to. And I love the passage from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. You'll recognize this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Boy, that's the tough part, right? We try to rationalize it. We try to understand it. But I'm not just saying this to go, just trust me. It's not blind faith, okay? It's a hope and a promise. It says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. How many times have you wondered what you should do with your, with your career, with your pursuits, with the decision or responsibility that's just weighing on you? And we all have these things that weigh on us. God promises that he will direct your path. This is what it takes to be in a relationship with him, to, to talk to him, to, to walk with him. And you will find yourself on the path that he knows is best for you, the path that he has laid straight before you. Now, God loves everyone. God wants a relationship with everyone. That, that sounds and it feels good. It does. But do you know what else you share with others? Some things that may not feel as good. 
But bear with me. I told you this is an encouraging message. Everyone sins. Everyone. All of us. We. There are many places in the scripture that reveal this problem, but Ecclesiastes 7.10, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And Paul repeats himself in Romans. And, and the psalmist even says, all have turned away. All have become correct. There is no one who does good, not even one. And later in Psalms, everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Well, it sounds despairing, doesn't it? And of course, the first steps of Romans road, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't share these verses with you to try to convince you that everyone sins. We know, we know. And, and we know it's not a new problem. It's unfortunate, to say the least, that we have this in common, but it's crucial to our salvation that we recognize and take responsibility for the fact that we aren't perfect. We aren't perfect. Everyone sins. And you know what else? Everyone struggles. Now, this one may bring a little more comfort to you. Okay, You're not alone in your problems. You're not the first one to have gone through it. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help and trouble. That friend we have a relationship with. Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. This is not an excuse to procrastinate. That is not a scriptural thing and I'm working on it. But verse says each day has enough trouble of its own. God promises that there will be trouble. Even 1 Peter 5, 67 says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety in him because he cares for you. Now, Cast all your anxiety, it says. Turn over to him all of your fears, your frustrations, your discouragement over these struggles. How do we do this? You know, it says to humble ourselves. How do you humble yourself? You pray. You pray genuinely. You say things like, I need your help. I'm worried. I'm scared. I'm lost. That's humbling. Those are, those are tough words to say. And if you don't think so, it's, walk up to someone and say that to them. It, it, it doesn't feel good, but when you say it to God who can actually do something with that, it takes it off your shoulders, right? And I love this promise. These are words of Jesus Christ himself from John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Other translations say things like, be courageous, be confident, be encouraged, or my favorite, be comforted. He can say that and we can stand on that promise because of something else that we have in common. And that is God sent his son for everyone. From Romans 3.22, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Whoever believes in the sin has eternal life. And again, from John 3.16, for who, whoever believes in him, open to everyone, not only open everyone, but encouraged for everyone. And if we all sin and we all struggle, there's another bit of hope, and that is God is willing to forgive. In fact, God wants to forgive everyone. The promise found in 1 John 1 through 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember that, that if, it's the big word. If this, then that. If we do this, and that's on our side, I wish it said when we confess our sins, but, but God knew what he was doing when he wrote this. And if we're being honest, we don't always confess our sins, do we? But when we do, if we do, if we make that choice, then he will make this promise. And it says, 
I, will, I am just, I am faithful. I will forgive you. I will purify you. And we know the cost of sin in our lives. Broken relationships, discouragement, fear, frustration, shame. Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. It's a spiritual death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is hope. And the New Testament is loaded with examples of Jesus hearing people's confessions, of him healing people, even confronting people, and they all have a resounding theme. And Jesus says this, he says, neither do I condemn you. He says, you're forgiven. He says, what does he do? He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. When he healed the, the lame man, when, when the woman was being stoned, you know, who is there left to condemn you? No one, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now we're getting back to some of the good news. God has a purpose for everyone. We talked about this last week. And, and you could probably, if I said Jeremiah 29, 11, you know what I'm gonna say. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He was saying that to Jeremiah, but you know every word in the Bible is intended for you to hear today as well. So God is making a promise that he has a plan and a purpose for you too. Have you asked him what it is? Romans 8, 28, again, a familiar verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now we get hung up on that and we say, all things are good. Come on, I wish it was. But Jesus himself said, you're gonna have trouble, okay? Not all things are good, but we know in all things, God works for the good. We're familiar with those words, but we really need to keep reading to hear the message. It goes on, it says, for the God, for those God foreknew, <clears throat> he all pre also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Everyone has a purpose and it's a process. Have you ever felt lost? Or just think back to when you felt lost. I'm sure we've all felt dissatisfied, perhaps even as, as if like something may be missing. It's like you weren't pursuing the right purpose. So many times we try to find something fulfilling, a relationship, a possession, the approval of others, just stuff, stuff that maybe in and of themselves aren't bad, but when we make them the focus, the purpose in our life, it, it gets out of order and it doesn't feel right and it, it doesn't fit right. But if it's the wrong stuff we're, we're pursuing, it doesn't work. He has a purpose for everyone, but not everyone seeks or accepts this purpose. Now I want to pause here and encourage you. Ask him. Ask a, a Christian friend that you trust, what do you think is my purpose? Because you probably have some natural gifts and talents and abilities that, that people recognize in you. How can you use that for his purpose? And if you're not sure what your purpose is, ask God. Ask God. And if you don't know how to do that, let's talk. Let's ask him together. I probably don't know your purpose either, but let's, we'll sit down. We'll see what God says about that. He'll reveal it when he's ready to reveal it. The last thing, God will provide for everyone. And we talked about this with our provisions. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus teaches. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now he concludes this illustration by saying these familiar words, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? Focus on the big thing, the thing that matters. And he says, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, we talk about a lot about the Apostle Paul and we read his words often, but he was in prison for his beliefs. And even from there, he wrote letters. And one such letter he wrote to the early church in Philippi, this is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He was, he was talking about the, the help and support he's getting from his early, the, the early believers. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever my circumstances. Wow, what a gift. I mean, that's, that's wisdom. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any, in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We hang on that last verse, but we forget that along the way, there's the good and the bad, the abundance and the, and the times of, of wilderness. And in every case, God provides. And the news about the things we share is, is getting a little better now, isn't it? You're gonna love this next one. God has a place in heaven for everyone, right? Scripture says, Greater than you can imagine. You could never imagine how wonderful it is. Your wildest dreams, I'm paraphrasing a lot, your wildest dreams does not equal what awaits for you in heaven. And it's Jesus who himself says, I go and I prepare a place for you. I'm gonna go up there, I'm gonna get your room ready. It's a nice one. And he says, I'll come back and take you with me so you may be where I am. Now heaven may be all these wonderful things, but what makes it so great is that's where God is. That's where Jesus is. And they want you there as bad as you want to be there. I promise you that. And God has a place in heaven for everyone. Okay? So, just to remind you, you are unique. You are special. You are of value. And you have a lot in common with everyone else. Some of it good and some of it not so good. But it all culminates in hope. And this morning, we'll share something else. And that's the sacrament of communion. It is in the spirit of Jesus' teachings that we celebrate open communion. And that is, everyone is welcome to participate. Sorry, it's snowing, so I have to say precipitate. Everyone is welcome to participate. What good is it to say you're welcome into the kingdom of God? Jesus is going, and we turn people away and say, not you, everyone but you. This is because the cross does not belong to Jesus. He did not deserve the cross. It is ours. It was our intended punishment that he went and took. We deserve it, but he took our place on that cross, accepting the sins of the world, including yours, including mine, everyone's, right? The entire world, in order to reconcile us with God so that we can redeem all these promises, so that we can be a part of the whomsoevers, the everyone's, that gets the promise of a place in heaven, the promise of a friend, a promise of guidance. And our love of God is not what gives us value or importance or makes us better than anyone else. It is his love of us, and that is of all of us. And this is what we honor and celebrate this morning. You see, God's love is not divisive. It's unifying. It is the one thing we all have in common. You aren't the only one. And that's a wonderful thing to share. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the Super Bowl. I didn't include it in the Sunday prayer because God knows my heart. But tonight is the Super Bowl, and, and, and obviously we're from Kansas City, and, and the same city that seemed to be tearing itself apart just months ago, right, with all the, the violent protests and the demonstrations, and we didn't even have it as bad as some other places in the country. But the same city that was literally tearing itself apart will be pulling together tonight for a couple hours behind a sports team. Okay, that's cool. 
But let's put that in a perspective and realize that there's a lot that differentiates us. And maybe a few things that unite us like tonight. But there are some very, very important things that truly make us the same. That's the message. May God bless us all, children of God. Let's pray. Father God, you created us. You loved us from the start. You have a purpose for us. You desire a relationship with us. You desire an eternity with us. But we are a fallen world. We don't just live in a fallen world. We are a fallen world. Every one of us struggles. Every one of us has sinned. Lord, you can't compromise your holiness. You, you are with us every step of the way, but you can't come down to the level of darkness that sometimes we find ourselves in. So Lord, you did the only thing that you could do that would save us. And that is you sent your son. There had to be a blameless sacrifice in order for it to work. And Lord, it did. We are forgiven. We have a righteousness and a hope and a future because of what you did for us. Father God, forgive us of our sins and forgive us when we don't recognize the sins and forgive us when we don't repent our sins timely. Lord, help us to redeem the promise. Help us to take the word if out of the promise and substitute it with the word when so that every single time we can cash in on your promise that you will forgive us and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for the differences we experience in our life, the different personalities, the different lifestyles, the different cultures. Help us to celebrate and not be divisive by that. But we thank you even more for the things we do have in common, and that is a holy, heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for being here today. I thank you for everybody who braved the cold and the snow to make it here in person. I pray for those who listen online. May we be changed for what we've heard. May we continue to be the winners of the greatest prize ever that you have designated for us. We lift all this up to you and we ask your blessing over our lives. Amen.